Christ, we always find mercy. We find mercy here and grace to help us in our time of need. And and we need you more than we know. We need you more than we know. And we thank you that you're always there for us. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So we're going to continue talking about, really about Abraham's relationship with God. How his relationship uh, developed over the years. How it changed over the years, over the course of their um, uh a relationship that's recorded in the Bible. Um, and it gives us an understanding of how our relationship with God uh, will change over the years, will progress, will get uh, stronger. Hopefully that's God's desire. Uh, we're changed from one glory to the next. Uh, when When we first came into the knowledge of God, we just came knowing right from wrong, basically not how to relate to God. Uh, knew some of the acts of God, but we were learning God's ways. And I think it's good for us to always keep that in mind. As long as you live, you're going to be learning about God. Amen. You're going to be learning his ways and learning how to live for God, how to tap into his mind and his heart and really have communion, fellowship uh, with him so that your life can be blessed and you can fulfill, you know, peaceful. Uh, you can fulfill what God has called you to do. It's a wonderful thing. It's not anything to be upset about, ashamed about. It's just the way it is, you know. It's just life. Um, and and I think it's good to always keep that in mind that God already has a plan for everything, for every era of our lives, every day. He has a plan for us, and he unfolds it and reveals it to us. There are blessings along the way. Amen. There are benefits and blessings that come upon us and overtake us uh, because of our relationship. We have a family relationship with God. We are sons and daughters of God by adoption. Adoption means you're chosen. Amen. You didn't just happen uh, into the family. You were chosen and selected. Amen. And that's a good thing that to know that God uh, wanted us and wants us. He wants to have fellowship and communion. There's so many things he wants to show us and reveal to us if we will allow him to do it. And so uh, this relationship business is extremely important. Um, it's uh, a matter of a process or, or our processing um, with God, communing with God in his thoughts and his word and talking to him, fellowshipping with him. And so yesterday when we talked about Abraham's relationship with God in Genesis chapter 17, we see his relationship takes a new turn. And this was the covenant turn that his relationship with God took, uh, so much so that God required a token uh, from Abraham that was uh, uh, to circumcise himself and everybody in that house uh, all of his seed that he wanted to be blessed was to be circumcised and this meant that they had a a, a covenant relationship with God uh, they state that he is their God for eternity amen once you cut away some of your flesh you can't get it back so that's an everlasting amen it's an everlasting covenant and so uh it's an eternal thing. And so that's what God wanted from Abraham to establish him as the heir of all things. 
so this set Abraham up for a not only a natural inheritance, which he he developed over the years with God, but now he moves into a higher realm, and that's a spiritual inheritance that he has with God. And so that's where many of us come into our covenant. We come into a spiritual covenant with God. Why? Because he imparts to us his Holy Spirit. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in to reside in you, to keep you and seal you unto the day that you meet the Lord. Amen. So he's our keeper down here on earth. He is the one that uh, holds us in in life. It holds us in covenant with God. He becomes everything to us, our helper, the one that strengthens us and, and talks to us, explain things. He'll speak things to us. And so it's this relationship with the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave everything for. He died to establish us in the covenant. Amen. So that we could, could never be disinherited. Uh, we could never be disappointed because every promise is sealed in his blood. Uh, there's no, he's not going back on anything. He's already given his life. And so that was the ransom that was required for us was the life of the perfect sinless son of God. And he gave that already. So now it's up to us to believe that once that's given, it can't be taken back. See, it, it, there's no going back on it. There's nothing left for him to give. So he's given everything already. And, and what that does, it gives us strong consolation, the Bible says, that, that, you know, in, in, it stops every argument, you know, um, it, it it's, it's something about swearing an oath and, and backing it up with a person's life that puts an end to every argument against what you're, you're talking about. You know, if you say, for instance, if if I want to promise Miss Pat something, I could say, well, Miss Pat, I'm really going to do this for you. I can try to convince her all I want to. But if I swear an oath and I say, Miss Pat, I'm going to cut my wrist and, and give you a drop of blood as a promise that if I don't do this for you, I'm going to take the rest of my blood and spill it out if I don't do this for you. See, what else can she argue? She said, what? Huh? You know, eyes get real big or carrying on. I mean, once somebody really means it to that degree, you can't argue with it. So that's what the Bible means when it says an oath of confirmation is the end of all strife. You can't argue against the blood. It wins every time. Amen. And the blood of Jesus speaks better. It speaks more. It speaks greater. It speaks the Ephesians 3.20. It's seeding abundantly beyond all. That's how, that's what the blood guarantees us. And so that's the kind of covenant that Abraham walked in with God. And it made a difference in his life. The blood, if nothing else, the blood of Jesus should make you more confident in everything that God says to you. It should, it speaks volumes in the realm of the spirit and it de- begins to declare things that cannot be refuted. Amen. It's like when we, we've been declaring that we don't have Rona and she don't have, by now everybody believes that. 
Nobody here is walking in fear. Nobody's scared to go get something from somebody or anything like that because that declaration speaks volumes. It reverberates in your spirit and it begins to tell your mind, relax, this thing can't get you. Amen. And so it, it just is, it's like that. And so once we start living in covenant with God and really understanding what it is that we have, we get full assurance, full confidence, fully persuaded. Amen. Everything's, we get the fullness of everything because of the shed blood. And so that's what, what God set up, set up Abraham and Sarah into a covenant that covered both of them, all of their needs, every promise that God had, they were assured that God would take care of this. Now, we have our part to do, and that part simply is to believe. Whatever you got to do to believe, do that. You understand? I mean, it's not like when you say only believe, like, uh, you know, just let it go through your head and go out again. That's what many people think believing is. But believing is much more than that. Believing is getting to know the one who promised you something. Huh? You know, I I preach a lot, you know, about, you know, relationships and marriage and stuff like that. But if some brother came up to you with raggedy clothes on and looking all rough like he slept in somebody else's car. Hey, pay attention now. Even got his own car to sleep in. Slept in somebody else's car. Huh? He gonna promise you, he gonna marry you and give you a good life. You said, seriously? Huh? (laughs) You want him to keep going. I love you, brother. Bless you, brother. But you ain't the one. (laughs) Amen? But, but God gives us so much better promises. See, he, he can back it up. You're looking at whether or not that person can back up what they're saying. But the God that we serve can back up what he's saying. Amen. He can do what he says. And so we just have to be confident in that. And, and much of our relationship with God really revolves around either walking away from what he's told us and thinking he can't do it or we got to do something to get it. Huh? Or finally settling in, let it settle in on, well, God's really going to do this thing. He's really going to do this. Amen? And then we start expecting. And then we start getting delving deeper into the relationship. Because if somebody, if somebody is your your can and and they can do the impossible you won't get to know a little bit more about them huh i mean you love man man and baby and all them but you do you want to know the brother that's really can do some stuff you're interested in that everybody's interested in people that can accomplish things and god expects us to be interested in him in the same way he can do anything man let me get to know more about this You know, it's more than just hear that word and let it go through your head and it not affect you. When you start reading stuff like that about God, you got to grab that and pull that back and say, wait a minute, I'm going to look at this a little deeper. See, that's what communion with God is. 
getting into the depths of things and say, God, I don't know how you can do it. Your word says you can do it. and We don't know how. But God, you got to tell me more about this. How do I really believe this? How do I continue to believe this when the devil's knocking at, at my head and telling me all day long how bad a person I am and bringing up all my past mistakes and, you know, you should have done something by now. Oh, if God was going to do something for you, he'd have done it by now. You understand what I'm saying? So how do I get past all of that, God, and still be settled in on the fact that you are doing this, you're capable and you want to do it for me and you will do it for me and you always have done it for me. How do I get to that place? And that's really what the Bible talks about when it says meditate. Meditate on the word. You got to think these things through. God says, he says, come, let us reason together. Not you reason by yourself and try to figure out how you going to do it and figure out if really God means it and all that, but reason together with him. Get in his word. Find yourself a good old scripture that messes your head up totally and begin to, to, you know, cautiously <laughs> delve into it. Amen. You know, some things you, you, you read in the Bible and you skim through it and you jump over it and you go back and look at it and you say, nah, that ain't for me. I'm going to find something that's easy for me to believe. <laughs> for God so loved the world. Uh, you like that because you live in it already. Amen. But to be honest with you, we don't live in all of it yet. Cause there's so much more to it. We just got the beginning. We got the, the, you know, uh, what do you call it? This, when the surf is real low and you just go to the edge of the ocean and stick your toe in it. Yeah, that's what we got. Most of us, most of the time. We don't want to get too deep in God. Well, I'm going to say amen. You know why? Cause you know it's going to change you. And in order for us to change, we got to repent. We got to admit we need changing. And we like feeling good about us the way we are. Huh? We do. You look at what everybody else says, mm, I'll do that. I don't see how they could call themselves a Christian and do that stuff. Huh? So we, you know, sitting up on our little pedestal and we don't want that disturbed. But you know, if you're going to get more from God, it's going to have to be less of you. We know that by instinct. We know what it caused. See, we were, when we first found God, or he first found us, we were glad to get rid of all our stuff. Because we could admit easily, when you're a new Christian or you're just born again, you can easily admit your stuff is raggedy. Huh? Yeah, most of us ain't even have those stuff. We come in the kingdom about naked. Amen. Raggedy, you know, no, no health care, no job. No, no. Then you get saved and God start giving you some stuff. You just, you know, we clutching our pearls every five minutes and seriously. And you fire your favorite scripture off at somebody and you know you got it going on there. Uh-huh. 
Uh huh. People look at you funny when you say it. You say, I didn't memorize that right, did I? Well, you know, I'm in a new, different version. That's the new interesting version of the Bible. I, that's the Zoom version of the Bible. I'm into. That's what everybody else is doing nowadays. Uh-huh. Get rid of them digital Bibles, all them different translations. You don't even know. You don't even recognize the scripture no more. Amen. But we instinctively know we're the ones that need some fixing up. If there's going to be more, you know, everybody's talking about the, uh, it's always something people looking for this shifting and that transfer and all this kind of is coming as soon as it, and it ain't coming nowhere to you because you're not willing to do anything that different to get it here. So how do we change? We change. By allowing God to begin to infuse something different into us. Abraham, you see it real clearly with Abraham. In, In Genesis 17, God said, walk before me and be thou perfect. If if you don't do anything else right now in your life, just park yourself right there at that scripture. Because that's the key to everything. See, if God needs more from you, he's going to give you more. He needs to have more attention from you. He's got to have more focus from you. He's got to have, he got to have more than your, your background music, uh, tapes that you listen to. You know, you just keep them running in the background and make yourself feel like you're getting the word. Played it till it's been wore out, but you still don't have any more of God than you had when you first put it in there. Cause this is what we do. See, we grab, there's this, this part of your soul that's ten commandments, don't do this, don't do that, lists, steps, formulas. That's not what God's talking about. Now you can grab that any time and throw that out there and see if it's going to work. But there comes a point where that don't work no more. You got me? Yeah. Now listen, I'm a witness. When I, I couldn't get my blood pressure straightened out, I thought it was going to be like a, you know, just a simple thing like the three day, uh, what's her name? Lillian Yeoman's formula. Listen, I got them all. I got so many steps and formulas and they work. So God said, that ain't working. Huh? You're going to have to do a little bit more. Huh? So you got to humble yourself. I have to humble myself and go to a doctor that don't know God. And depend on her to help me until I can get to the place where I get beyond my steps and formulas and I, I get to be one with God and communing with him and he opens a door for something greater for me to access so that I can receive my healing. See? Even though I'm healed by faith, I'm healed by confession. But if them numbers don't go down and you still got to take pills, you got some work to do, sister. You understand what I'm saying? And so we got to be willing to to apply ourselves to that work. That deeper thing. 
that you got to go to God on a continual basis and say, God, I'm looking for this to go. He said, uh-uh, that ain't what we're going to talk about today. I'm expecting. Uh-uh, we ain't going to talk about that today either. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just sit at your feet. He said, that's what I'm talking about. I'll choose the better part. Just sit at your feet and hear what you got to say for a change. Let us reason together. All the other reasoning, we throw that stuff out there and hope it gets us what we need. No, hope it gets you healing. And most times it works. You know, most times if I'm walking around and, and something hurts me or I have a pain somewhere, I know how to consider not, I just, declare my health and consider not and it goes away if not immediately a day or two through but we ain't talking about them the imps that sit on your shoulder that bug you we're talking about some stuff that might have some history to it see might have some depth to it and we don't know the extent of everything that we're dealing with so we got to go to him that knows everything to get our answer and get our understanding. Because he is the author and the completer. He will complete your faith. And you'll get the manifestation of everything you believe in God for. But we have to let him complete it. And so we have to go to him in humility as many times as we need to. Every day, day in, day out. All day long. All night long. Whatever it takes. So that we can get full understanding and be fully persuaded that what he's promised he will you don't perform nothing you believe he performs and most times we're trying to do both believe and perform huh so we believe he performs so what do we do to show our faith in him give him time it's it's about time it's really what it's about. When he said, walk before me, that says to me, give me time. Walk with me. Let me guide you. Let me show you. And I'm going to grow you up to a different level through this process. So this process of growing up to a different level means communing with God regularly about all the things that you need to talk to him about in order to get fully persuaded. See, you're going from a place of almost believing. You've got it in your heart. You believe it in your heart. But you got to walk a, a, a path that's guided 100% by God. See, you can't afford to get a bright idea and say, well, let me go see if this going to work. And this is what we do most of the time. We think about something we heard that worked for somebody else or for us in the past, and we throw that out there and hope that's going to get it. But what God is talking about, no, 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 and no. Don't throw me no used nothing. I want something fresh and new out of you. And I want to impart something fresh and new to you. And this is what he does through covenant. Number one, he changes Abraham's name. He said, nope, it's me and you, you and me, me and you from now on. It's not Abraham trying to trust his wits. See, Abraham, every time you run into trouble, you get an idea to go down to Egypt 
and you get your wife in trouble and I got to come down there and get you. No, I ain't doing that no more. You're going to walk with me from now on. If if you go to Egypt, it's because I tell you to. If you do anything different, it's because that word has got to come from my lips to your ear and you follow that and that alone because I got something so big for you. I have something so different and so great for you that you're going to want to know that I'm with you all the time. You're not going to feel good about doing anything unless you know I told you to do it and that specifically. And so that's what God wants to do for all of us to bring us into the supernatural, into the impossible, into the totally spiritual, so that we can receive everything that we need from him and give him glory on top of it. See, many of the things that that Abraham did, God didn't really get glory from because some other man was involved in it. Another person was involved. Amen. Until one day Abraham looked at it and, and thought to himself, uh, you know, when, when he fought that first battle, Lot got him in trouble a couple of times. And Lot was, was, uh, there were some kings of these different, uh, uh, countries where Lot was and he was kind of hemmed up there. And so Abraham had to gather all his household help and, and go and fight that battle. And so when he did, he had to connect with some kings from, from some of those areas. And the, the king wanted to pay Abraham's army for their help. And Abraham said, no, I've sworn to God. I'm not going to take anything from him. I will never let it be said that another man made me rich. I only want to say that God made me rich. But see, that Abraham was dealing only in material things because that was all he knew. God wanted him now to bring him up into spiritual stuff. Let's leave the natural behind and pick up the spiritual. And that's where he wants all of us to not deal with the natural. Anybody can go to the doctor and get a prescription and get pills. Please take them if you got them. Don't quit taking them. But understand that God may knock on the door of your heart one day and say, hey, you know what? You want to get rid of that? I got a plan for you to get rid of that. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I got to mature you. And I'm going to show you spiritual. I'm going to show you ideas and strategies in the spiritual realm to help you fight the root of this thing on a spiritual level and get rid of it once and for all. And that's where he wanted Abraham. He said, I got to have a man to work with me who will not just deal on the natural. Because Abraham, money was nothing for him. For most of us, we know God's going to take care of us. Every time somebody fired you from a job, you got another one, whether you even look for it or not. Somebody even called your phone and told you this, you know, here's another job opening. God wants to keep his kids working. Amen. Or things with minor things in your health. God was able to do those things with no problem. And so we we know the God who can take care of the natural. Anybody who's still hankering for money just ain't paying attention. Where is my wife people at? Where are my wife folks at? You understand what I'm saying? If if you serve God any length of time and you still got a roof over your head, you're still breathing, you still, you know he's good. Come on now. 
so you can expect it. And that's not arrogant. He tells us to faith is part of part of of faith is expecting. We're supposed to expect God to to come to our every need. You know, sometimes we think it's too big. If the bigger he gets, the bigger your God is. God can meet that whatever it is. He don't care what it is. He wants you to think bigger because that makes him bigger. And that gives him a bigger part in your life. See, he wants all of that. That's why he says increase. That's why he says be fruitful and multiply. Amen. And, and, and do the things that, that I would do or I want you to do. These are God ideas that we're putting into motion. And he wants us to think like he thinks. Cause that's where our success is. It's not in thinking like we think. It's in thinking like he thinks. And he's willing to share those thoughts with us in fellowship and relationship like he did with, with Abraham. So now Abraham, he's told Abraham the spiritual part of his inheritance is about to come because he's going to be heir of the world. The whole world is going to belong to Abraham and his descendants. Amen. And so God begins to bring him into that that knowledge through covenant. And he circumcises everybody in the household. And he promises him a son with Sarah, his wife. The way God always intended it. Amen. Amen. Now God did not tell him initially that that was the plan. Anybody got a scripture that says he told Abraham him and Sarah would have a prior to this? Wonder why not. Abraham would have been, went back to Ur of the Chaldees and been sitting up there and we would not have him as our father. <laughs> Am I right, Poppy? It would scare you to death. He tells you just enough to, come here, baby. Come here, come here, come here. Let me show you something. Huh? Oh, man. And we be asking, well, God, what's next? Shut up. You can't handle what's up here. Amen. (laughs) I want the more. I bet you do. Amen. People in hell want ice water. They can't have none of that. (laughs) Hmm? It's the truth. He only gives you enough for you to believe at that time. That's why we can never accuse him that we're over our heads in our faith. Or this is too hard for me to believe you for. He gives you just enough. He knew Abraham was going to misinterpret the promise. Well, Sarah, anyway. Amen. She just wanted the pressure off of her. Somebody got it. See, it was her idea. It wasn't his idea to go that route. But she wanted the pressure off of her. You ever been like that when you try to believe God for something? Oh, Lord, have mercy. You mean I got to be- Oh, no. You know, you lose your job and you don't know where the money for the bills is coming to you. You're sweating at whatever them due dates are. 
So Abraham and, and Sarah did things to take the pressure off. They were not living, quote unquote, by faith. They began to believe God in hindsight, not foresight. Come on now. The Bible, the Bible gives it away. Hebrews 11 says, uh, Sarah judged God what? That's hindsight. That's not foresight. So in hindsight, you can build your faith for now foresight. If he's done that, 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 and that, that means he's going to do this up here too. See? So experience gives us hope, the Bible says. Amen? So once you have experience with God, see, there are some things that are too big to believe God for. You know, I feel sorry sometimes for people who get prophecies and they kind of compress it all into one activity, one biggie. And then they just want this big thing. And they're not, they're not experienced enough in small things. So they can add it up. You know, your carnal mind can add it up and say, God won't fail you. Because he's seen all the stuff that God's done for you so far. And so God allows us that. He allows us to have experiences with him. But then there will come a day he'll tell you, okay, now you've seen enough. For you to understand that when I tell you I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do this too. You got me? And so when we, when we begin to understand all that God is doing, all that, it, that he's about, when we get into the, the things that require more attention to the spiritual, we tend to walk more closely to him. We tend to check in mentally with him periodically all day long during the day. Other than that, doubt is going to come and, and kill your dream. So you're desperate to hold on to that. I mean, if it's something you really want, you get desperate to hold on to it, and you go and check in with God again. God, I thank you that you, you've done everything, and I do believe you're going to do this for me too. You're not going to fail me in this. You're the God of all flesh. Nothing's too hard for you. I've seen you do what, 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 and all that. And this is how you walk before him in perfection. It's a mental thing. It's a communion thing. It's a renewing your mind. And when you come out of that conversation, Jesus has convinced you a little bit more that it's for you. And you get a little bit closer to that thing. And this is how we're to live. This is how Abraham lived. This is how he got from wavering and vacillating and making up his own rules and doing things his own way, laughing at God when he told him he was going to give him a son between him. I mean, they both laughed. Huh? And I guess they continued to laugh even after Isaac was born. You got me? They would have to. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You getting old, you better laugh every day. <laughs> huh? See, there's a medicine in that. Yeah. They said, girl, you won't believe what God did. Look at this baby over here. This is our baby. We ain't borrowed this baby. This ain't, no, this ain't, this ain't the, the niece. Them. This ain't Bam Bam them kids. Huh? It's our baby. I don't believe, I don't want to believe it either, but here. 
And they just have a good laugh over it. Keep it moving. So this is the the demand and the necessary thing for the impossible. The more impossible something is, the closer you have to be to God. The more you have to walk with him. The more you have to share his mind. The more you have to meditate in his word and understand. Get understanding. Start to probe and to get understanding in what God wants you to do. Other than that, you, you, it, understanding expands your God-likeness. You can respond more like God. You think more like God. It's easier for you to accept God's plans for your life when you meditate in Him and, and meditate on the Word. So what Abraham is doing now is what God is doing now with Abraham is causing Abraham to partner with him in life. Not just to be someone who believed God, counted to him as righteousness, and he followed God as far as he could, or he followed God a little bit till he got into trouble and God pilled him out of trouble again. You hear nothing too much about trouble with Abraham, it, 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 even especially after Isaac is born. Now, in, in chapter 18, he runs into a little bit of difficulty the, uh, where God begins to trust him more. It's not Abraham's problem, but it's, it's Lot again. Lot and his family are in Sodom, and God needs someone to partner with him for his plan for those countries. So really what God is doing here, he's beginning to show Abraham his holiness. And he's allowing, he's checking in to see if Abraham has the same standard of holiness that he has. And mercy. And he says here in 18 verse 16, um, let me think. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I'm doing? He says, Seeing that he shall surely become a great and mighty nation. So what God is doing, he's he's imparting spiritual understanding into Abraham. He's showing Abraham how he thinks and how he judges and what he believes. He wants to do that with me and you. He wants to expand our understanding of his mind and his heart where it comes to judging things. See, this is why people have so many prophecies running around everywhere. Because nobody's checking in with God to see what he's got to say on the subject. You can tell because they borrow each other's words. If one person gets a word and they all start to repeat it, sounds the same thing. So if God is not speaking, everybody ought to shut up. And so what he wants to do here, what he does with Abraham, he wants Abraham to start to think like he thinks in the realm of right and wrong, good and evil, how to deal with evil, how to be merciful, all of that. Abraham knows nothing about that. He has not known anything about that up until this time. And God says, let me start sharing some things. I'm I'm training him for his future role as the the patriarch of all those who call my name. So I got to put some things in him so that when his children come along, their faith will be established in this kind of thinking. 
So your holiness thinking comes from this interaction between God and Abraham. He says, I got to share these things with him because he's got to leave an inheritance for his children to understand, number one, that I hate evil, but I am merciful to the righteous. I will not destroy the righteous. Amen. With the evil. That's why a lot of these prophecies people keep saying about America's doomed and we're, they don't, they, they, they huh? are you serious? Go back and read the first chapter of the Bible and see how God treated people who were righteous, even though they were living around. It couldn't get no worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. He, what, what have we done to, to, to deserve being destroyed? We're blood bought. We can't be unbought. The devil don't have enough of nothing to buy us back from God. So he tells Abraham, he says, I know him. He's going to command his children. He said, I've observed him. I've looked at him. I've seen what he does long enough to understand he'll take authority in his household and command and demand his children to follow. Now, you know, people, this is, this is something everybody's familiar with. You know, mothers get upset. They've been hollering at the kids all day long. But when daddy comes home, everybody straightens up. Huh? Because of being the head, you got your final authority. That man is more scared of God if he don't straighten the kids out than he is afraid the kids won't do what he tells them to do. So they're coming from a totally different perspective. Authority comes from that level. He knows he's accountable to God for those children. And that's what he moves out of. That's why the kids obey him. There's God-backed words behind that. And so God says about Abraham, he said, I know what he'll do. He'll command his family after him, his children, and his household. And they will do what the Lord tells them to do. He said, if he tells them, they'll do it. Amen. And he says here, uh, and, and, and he says, um, and the Lord is going to bring upon Abraham all that he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I'm going to go down now and see what See whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up to me. So God, when God does, goes down and inspects people, the Holy Spirit does. He'll go down and he'll start to judge. And if there's anybody who want to go God's way, the Holy Spirit will give them access to do that. So then God starts to talk to Abraham about what he's going to do. And Abraham picks up the, the role of intercessor. So this is his first spiritual anointing. So he goes from being a man who just depends on God for natural things, carnal things. He's in covenant with God. God's with him all the time now. He's not just visiting him and he build an altar like he did in the old days. Now God's with him all the time. He says, come and talk to me every day, Abraham. So they get together on a regular basis. And he begins to share things with him. He begins, Abraham begins to negotiate with God for a miracle for Lot. Abraham is not saying it's for Lot, 
but he knows Lot is there. And he knows Lot has always loved God. And he wants God to be merciful to him. And that's what he intercedes for. Amen. He knows God's heart. He knows God will do it. He knows God has forgiven him many times. So he knows what God will do. And that's where God wants us to be confident that he will do what we expect him to do. And that only comes through interaction with him. So Abraham begins to intercede and say, would you do it for 50 righteous? Would you do it for? Like we do sometimes, God, I really want this healing. If, if I, if, if, if I could just stay in the word an extra 30 minutes a day, if I could do that for a month and do some fasting, would that get it done? We negotiate all the time. We don't understand it. This is better than throwing brother so-and-so's six steps at him. But you know why we don't do it more often? We're scared he's going to say no. We're scared he's going to give us something too hard to do. We're scared that if we begin to talk to him about really how to get this done, we're, we're, we're not that, that it's going to be impossible on our end. The impossibility is already there because we can't do it under our own power. So we're kind of stuck. We got to trust that God's going to get us there. That he would not put something in the Bible and cause you to want it if it's not possible for you to have the faith to do it. But see, from where we sit and where he is, we think there's a long, a big gulf. But he's with us. He's in us, in our heart, in our mouth, by his word. And if we will believe that and understand that, God, I'm probably not that far off from my miracle. Why don't we say that sometimes? Instead of just, huh? The saints in the book of Acts were praying for Peter to get out of prison. Uh, somebody came up with the bright idea, let's pray Peter out of jail. Huh? Wonder where that idea came from. Well, if God didn't put it in there, it wouldn't have worked. So somebody was inspired to believe for a miracle to get Peter out of jail because they were beheading Christians left and right. Chances of getting anybody out were slim to none. Slim just left town. I'm gonna take a drink of water. <laughs> it's an old joke. I had to use it. I need a drink of water. But, but they were praying at the time. They were praying. Peter comes and knocks on the door. She refuses to open. Runs in there and tell him this Peter's angel. Nobody had faith that it would show up. And these were tongue-talking, spirit-filled people. Huh? See, you gotta open the door for your miracle. You can't leave it. We got, uh, most of us have lots of stuff locked outside of a gate. And we think it's too fantastic and too wonderful for God to give it to us. Oh yeah. You think that example is in the Bible for nothing? 
It's in there for us to understand that's a normal way for people to react. When you've asked God for something, you can be believing the Holy Spirit will take that prayer and present it at the throne room of grace and your answer's on the way back almost before that prayer gets there. And your answer's at the door. And you refuse to open the door of faith to believe one last time that it could happen just like that. What do you think a miracle is? It'll blow your mind, blow the time, blow everybody's expectations. It'll blow everybody out of the water. But that's the God that we serve. We're always asking for miracles. We got to learn how to receive them. Always keep the expectation there. Always go open the door anyway. Even though nobody's knocking at it, keep it open. Say, God, I'm looking for my miracle. I know it's coming. See, the more radical and crazy you can get about stuff, the more you invite God in. Amen. The devil can FedEx anybody anything. But you ask, you go open the windows on your, your, the top floor of your house and start thanking God for your stuff. Send it in, God. I'm looking for it. Huh? I'm looking for it. It's gotta come. You said it was gonna come. And do it consistently. Many times we do little radical things and get scared, try them, and go, well, it didn't come. I don't know. Oh, you need to do it like you mean it. Huh? So most of y'all got married. Wouldn't quit calling that brother. Huh? Do it like that, like you mean it. Go pursue something for real. Amen? <laughs> So Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and negotiate with God. He's coming up higher in a higher spiritual level with God. So his his relationship pro- progresses. This is the Abraham brand of faith. This is the brand of faith that we have in us. And God expects us to use it the same. You're not going to get too far in God's kingdom without a life of intercession. I mean consistent. I don't mean just when you need something for you. That seldom works for anybody for very long. People get discouraged so quickly and stop. But we're talking about signing yourself up as God's intercessor for somebody else. This had nothing to do with Abraham whatsoever. This was totally for somebody, somebody totally different. So you got to see yourself as God's instrument for kingdom purposes. For kingdom reasons. Most people who really are, are committed to prayer seldom pray for their own needs. They just know they're met. You stay so much in the realm of the spirit with God. Now if something happens and it's slowed down or it's blocked, then you go to war on that thing. But then the devil's real sorry he messed with you like that. Huh? You make him sorry. Amen? You bite something that belonged to devil, to me, devil, I hope you choke on it. Huh? Give it back. You know, somebody said, I was driving somewhere and it's somebody, you know, a little car. I drive a big car. I have to. Old people drive big cars. It's just, it's against my religion and not whatever. And they, they kind of tried to swerve in and out. You know how these little car people go swerving in and out. And I said, 
And I just look, I said, I hope you hurt yourself. You run into this, you're going to hurt yourself. You understand what I'm saying? That's the way you better need to be about the devil. You come, you're going to hurt yourself. You come up here, try to steal something from me. And I mean it. Got to get rough with him. Act like he ain't no threat to you. You better hit him back. Man. Let him know he, you ran into the wrong one. He won't try it so often. Amen. So Abraham then becomes partners with God. That's what God wants. He wants partners with him in the things that he's doing in the earth, not just for us, but for others. Amen. And, and, and so God begins to use Abraham as his instrument here to bless the earth. And so those of us who have the faith of Abraham are instruments to bless the earth. Remember initially God told Abraham, I will bless you and you will. This is coming to pass now. See, this never came to pass before now. So Abraham becomes a blessing. He has so much of God in him and so much history with God now. He's got, he, he's living on overflow. He's got a covenant with God. He's got a, a child that God promised. He has a secure future. And so now God is using him to bless. And this is how we inherit his faith. Everything that Abraham is doing from this point on is for the benefit of us who live right now, who have received the atonement, who have the, the faith of, of God's son Abraham. And so Abraham walks on with God until his son Isaac is about 20 years old. And he he has to be tested again. And we all know the story. We We know that God tells Abraham to take Isaac up and sacrifice him, his only son. And when he has the knife over him, God stops him. And he tells him, I just had to know that you would not withhold anything dear from me. This is is the crown, folks, of your faith. When God starts to separate you from things and it tugs at your heart to let go of them, you'll pass the test. But he's going to make sure that there is not anything blocking between you and him. He wants free access to your heart. He wants to be able to trust you with more and more things. But the amazing thing that happened here was that before Abraham even went up to the mountain with Isaac, what did he tell those men, his servants that were down at the, we're coming back. So Abraham had received something between the time God told him and the time he came back down that made him see he had faith for God doing something in the interval that wasn't going to damage him. So when we want something from God and we don't trust him to tell us what we have to do in order for him to bless us. See, when we think it's too hard 
We need to get over in the faith of Abraham. You need to pull this thing out and say, now, wait a minute. Abraham knew before he went up there that he was coming back down. So he knew God wasn't going to have him do the hard part. He was going to go up there and meet the God who is more than enough. So all the things that we need from God, even if it's the miraculous, even if it's impossible, even if it's terminal, we don't have to do the hard part. Because El Shaddai is going to meet us at that place and supply that sacrifice. He's already supplied it, but he's more than enough. So you don't have to sweat your little head and think anything's too hard for you to do to God. Oh God, I don't know if I can do that. You just, God, you just being so mean. I just want you to give me stuff and I don't even have to believe you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Huh? All you gotta do is hold on to what he, I don't care what you gotta grab to hold. Abraham grabbed on to a vision. It said in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, 19. Thank you. Hebrews 11, verse 19. It's something at the foot of the hill. Abraham got something from God. See, God doesn't want you to go into anything thinking it's too hard. This is why you gotta spend time with him. Meditate on this thing. Think this thing through until you get peace inside of you that he's taking care of it. And he says here that, uh, by faith, I'm sorry, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Okay. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Offered him up. Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold it. And I found a snag here. He offered him up. Huh? What did he do? Well, he didn't kill him, Barb, because God stopped him. No. He didn't kill him, but he offered him up. He did as much as God required him to do. He took him up there and uh, he told God immediately, yes, I'm going to do it. That's offering him up. Saying yes is compliance. Saying yes is the same as doing it as far as God's concerned. That's why when we say yes to God, he keeps bugging. Some of the things you still got to do, you didn't think God wanted you to do anymore. That's because you said yes a long time ago and still haven't done it. I mean, just thought, not throwing no shade on nobody. You understand what I'm saying? But, uh-huh. See, when we say, that's the same thing as doing it as far as God's concerned. Because that's how he operates. By his word. So it says here, he offered up Isaac. He said yes to God at the foot of the hill. He went and got all the stuff. He got, took, took, took help with him. But at the bottom of the hill, something happened. And he says, it, it, in that, he says, he offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, said it twice, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. So he offered up the promise and that was the end of the line. 
accounting that God was able to raise him up. Now, why would God do that to that man? Why would he require faith from anybody? Because he needs your faith in the earth to accomplish something for his kingdom. This man is going to be a blessing. And God's going to make sure he does what is needed to do to accomplish that. He says he he figured he, he accounted that God was going to raise him up. God promised this. He's not reneging it. He's got another plan. Even from the dead. From whence he also received him in a figure. So Abraham saw him and Isaac coming back down to the foot of the hill. He figured he would kill him and God would raise him up. So why is that important? Because God needs us to have faith for the resurrection. And it had to come through Abraham's faith. It couldn't come just from Jesus saying he would be raised from the dead. He needs people on the earth to have faith in them for certain things he needs to do. That's why you and I have to study. That's why we have to struggle sometimes. That's why we have to wait sometimes for God to move and do certain things. He needs faith. When the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith? We've got to be here believing him. We can't be believe, we can't be here waiting for the rapture or just waiting to die. I'm saved. That's good enough. No, you got to be doing your father's business. Jesus did until he stepped off of this earth. So Abraham saw a vision or he saw um, in his thinking, he saw a picture that God gave him of him and Isaac coming back down the hill. And he must have believed that he was going to have to kill him because he witnessed that knife was already over that boy and the angel stopped him. Amen. So Abraham believed God for us to be raised from the dead. He believed God for all of humanity to be raised from the dead. That's why when we, you can't be saved unless you believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Isn't that what we tell people when we lead them to the Lord? And if they confess it and they believe that, then the faith of Abraham comes inside of them. Amen. You gotta have faith for the resurrection. Other than that, all we do is in vain. We have no salvation for the, the hereafter. We're, once we're dead, we're dead. Except for what Abraham did. Somebody had to believe God to do this in order for us to be raised from the dead. So that faith in the resurrection did not start with Jesus. It started with Abraham. Because Abraham, God, Jesus used the faith of Abraham to do what he did. He just had it without measure. So then God is able to make sure everything that's needed. And see, this will give you understanding. You know, everybody will tell me, oh, you got greatness. And we have no clue what that means. We say greatness, we think about standing in the mirror with a crown on. I'm serious. Y'all know that's as far as it goes. They don't, you, you have no clue what godly greatness is all about. You know, greatness is is people who live could live comfortable in this country going over to a place like Mozambique where they're beheading Christians all the time and setting up churches anyhow. Uh greatness. 
Anybody want some of that greatness? I didn't think so. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so God has to have people. When the Son of Man returns, he's looking for faith. He's looking for people who are struggling somewhat to believe God for the impossible, but we're hanging in there anyway. He's looking for that. Jesus helps our faith. He always helps our faith. You are not in this alone. And this is why God covenanted with Abraham to walk with him. We, I'm one with my man Abraham. I'm taking care of him. I'm showing him what I need him to do so that his and his descendants will be able to inherit everything that I, that you and I can be saved. That you and I can preach the gospel to everybody. You and I can lay hands on the sick. This is all in this package of Abraham's faith. That's why God put him to the test the way he did. You know, we look at that sacrificing your only son. You, I'm glad that's done. Well, you're going to have your turn too. You're going to have your own challenges to accomplish what God says that you're supposed to accomplish with your faith. So, so Jesus comes to bat for us. This is, this is the faith of Abraham. He solidifies everything that we need by this brand of faith. It's the brand of faith that is able to subdue kingdoms, work righteousness, uh, stop the mouth of lions, all of that stuff. We do that. This is the faith that we have. That's why God wants to challenge us to come out of this mentality of what's on this earth only, to come into the mentality of what is it that God's after nowadays? God, what do you want to do? And what's my part in it? Help me to not be too scared. Help me to not be afraid to get up and speak for you. Help me to not be afraid of where you're going to send me and what you're going to tell me to do. Just help me with these things. And Jesus does exactly that. If it's unbelief, he has the answer for that. We should never be afraid of doubt, confessing doubt to God, being honest with God about how we feel and how we think about things. This, this is, this isn't the way Abraham, your faith don't work like that. Abraham's faith works in the open. It works with going to God and saying, God, you told me I'd have a son. Where is it? What are you going to give me? What are you going to do? How do you, it works with probing God and reasoning with him for the things that he's promised us. Cause many times you're over here trying to believe and you're not sure if God's even go, even said that anymore. Did I read that right, God? Did you really promise that to me? You're going to have to show me something. I'm lost out here. The devil didn't slap me up one side of my head and down the other, and I'm still trying to figure out where I am. And so when we can understand that we can trust God like that, see, mostly we trust God through legalism. We, you know, don't, don't fool yourself. Because we're more comfortable going getting our seven steps and ten formulas. And throwing them at God and help hoping that does it. And you're just as empty on the inside. You're not sure that's going to work. You're just not certain. And God wants us to be certain. He wants us to quit playing around with this faith thing. And start really believing God and walking righteously before him. So in Mark chapter 9, we'll go to that example. I had this one more example, I think, one or two more 
in where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down and his disciples are trying to cast a demon out of the little boy. And they're unable to. And it says, um, uh, verse 9, they came down from the mountain and charged them that they should tell no man what they had seen. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, I guess it was up there. And, and, uh, and they kept saying with themselves, questioning one another about him rising from the dead. They refused to believe he was going to die, let alone be raised from the dead. Amen. And he's telling them constantly that that's what's going to happen. See how unbelief is, how common it is. We hear what we like and we refuse what we don't like. And see, whenever we talk about communing with God and getting closer to God, meditating with God, we're always afraid he's going to tell us something we're not going to like. What's going to be hard for us to do. And he says, and they ask him, uh, um, okay. Okay, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. Now that's enough to put you in unbelief right there. See, that'll kill any anointing. A bunch of religious people who are not supporting what you do, but they're questioning you, wanting you to fail. And straight away, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, why are you questioning what you doing messing with my posse? Now, see, this is important for us to know. See, we're always thinking if if we don't have all the answers that we can't go to God. That he's not on our side. We got to convince God we got enough faith. We got enough this. I prayed enough. I confessed enough. Don't we? Somehow, once you, you're, you've got to wait for something, God begins to be the, the enemy. But that's never true. Jesus comes immediately defends his disciples. He, uh, that's what an advocate does. That's what a lawyer does. He comes to his client's defense. So he comes to the defense of his anointed. He comes to the defense of those who work for him. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought to thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. Wherever he takes him, he tears him, he foams, he gnashes, his teeth pines away. I asked your disciples to cast him out and they couldn't do it. End of story. But I got to tell you this anyway. And he answered him and said, oh, faithless generation. Answered him. Hello. Not just blaming the disciples. Woo. In other words, ain't none of y'all down here believing. The daddy ain't, the boy ain't, the disciple ain't. A peacemaker does not take sides, folks. Huh? Except to defend their own position or defend truth. So Jesus gets the disciples out from under the control of the religious demons that are trying to take their faith away forever. Amen. He'll help you out the same way. 
And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So he rebukes everybody, the whole situation. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, right away the spirit tore him and fell on the ground. And while in foaming, devil likes to perform. And he asked his father, how long is it ago that this came to him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. Why is it Jesus talking to him about this? Why is it important for him to know how long it happened? It's not. Huh? But why would he go down this road with this man? Huh? To break the unbelief in the atmosphere. He puts the father at ease. See, the father's fighting for his life to get his boy healed. And everybody's against him. The disciples can't help him. The crowd's against him. Everybody's here. So Jesus comes in and breaks this up with a question totally unrelated to what's going on right now. He could have asked him, what your wife cook last night? Do you understand? But he he decides instead to show he's interested in this man. See, sometimes that's real important for people to get that. And see, when you go to God trusting God to help you out of your unbelief, which you feel condemned about most of the time because we don't know any better. We feel God's mad at us because we somehow can't can't believe him. Well, you don't just every day believe for the impossible. God's got to help you with that. So what's he do to let you know? He puts you at ease about it. God sometimes will will start showing you things he's done for you over the years to give you confidence that he's done this. He loves you. He's mellowing you out because you're nervous because you can't believe for this miracle. It's been months and years and and it hasn't happened yet. Then the devil's constantly telling you it's your fault. What do you think God's going to do? Just leave you over there like that? No. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's responsible to get you over in faith. You're not responsible to get yourself over in faith, folks. He's got to give you a word. He's got to show you a scripture. He's got to speak something to your heart. He's got to do something. He got to help you. So the first thing Jesus does, he defends his anointed. God always sticks up for his anointed. That's why when people start messing with anointed people, they get in trouble. You understand what I'm saying? God, you ain't, these men are not their servants. They're God's servants. You don't question another man's servants. And so he tells them, he says, bring that boy to me. He brought him and he asked the father chit chatting with the dad. How long ago? The dad needs to get this off his chest though. Because this is part of what's hindering him, that it's been so long. Once that's aired out, it's amazing what confessing will do to you. Once you get that out, God, I'm scared. I don't even know if I'm going to make it. I, I'm not sure if I can. you can keep me alive until my miracle comes through. They say I'm getting worse and worse every day. Hmm. He got to do, he can't leave you like that. 
He said he never leave you nor forsake you. This man's reaching out with everything he's got. And God knows it. And he tells him exactly what what he's just seen. He's cast him into the fire and so forth. He says, but if you can do anything, there's the faith. See, before he let him confess that and air himself out, his faith was bottled up. So God has to let us confess things. So God, I don't know. You might get mad at me, God, but I'm telling you, I'm just so sick of this. I don't know what to do. You got to show me something different, God. I'm willing to go, but I can't go another further on what I got. You can give me something else. Amen. And he says here, and Jesus told him, if you can believe. So it ain't on me. This ain't my responsibility. The responsibility is for you to believe I can do it. Amen. And so when he tells him, I believe, help my unbelief. That's all Jesus needs to hear. Is He needs to hear us tell him what's wrong with us. He needs to tell, we need to tell him what we think we lack. We can't go around pretending like we got all kinds of faith just because we confess the word. We got to go to him and say, God, I don't have it all. I'm going to lay all of this down right here because if I take this another inch, it's going to mess my head up something totally bad. And he says, help my unbelief. Did he do it? Oh, yeah. Anytime you go to Jesus with your unbelief and your doubt, he helps you. And most of the time we try to hide it from him. Try to pretend like we all that, we believe in this and I got my confession together. I got my little cards up here on the stack on the thing. And they believe in nothing. I'm scared to tell God because he might get mad at me. No, you mad at you. The devil's mad at you for even trying. Devil mad at you for getting up this morning. Amen. So when Jesus saw that the people came running together. He's waiting for his audience. He's waiting for the people to see this boy get healed. God, you wouldn't let me suffer just so other people. Oh, yeah. Because you're not suffering. If you're in faith, you're at peace. You just don't like waiting. That's your main problem. We've been trying to get that out of us forever. Not wanting to wait. Nothing's worth waiting on. Come on now. Some things have to be worth waiting on. And some things we must wait for. Because the faith is not coming to you any sooner than it's coming. (laughs) And the promise no sooner. So, So he is the author and completer of our faith. That man left there in a whole lot better shape than when he came. All every in every way. Not just having his son healed and in a miracle for his boy, but also the peace that he has where he now knows his faith will work. His faith in God is working. There's almost no greater feeling than that, folks. To have that faith confidence to know that you can ask anything and God will do it. 
and you'll be able to hold your faith until he gets there with it. That's a good feeling. It's much better than feeling inadequate, like everything's against you. It's a, it's a great state to be in, to be blessed in that way. And that's the way God wants us to live every day, folks. Every day, every day, every day, he wants us to live like that. In that peace, in that faith, in that confidence that what he promised, he's able also to perform. Amen? All right, why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for understanding. Thank you for goodness and mercy that follow us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we won't forget our faith. We'll do everything we can to nurture that faith, protect that faith, make sure that faith is working, make sure we keep an open communication with you about our faith, because it is your faith as well, that we make ourselves available to be used by you in that faith realm so that we're not just living as natural people anymore, but we're living as supernatural people empowered by a supernatural God. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you're doing in our midst today. We honor you, we bless you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. If anybody want to come up for prayer, I'll pray for you.